I really struggle with this text. Like the scripture Ashley preached last week in which God kills all the firstborn Egyptians, at the heart of this story lies divinely sanctioned destruction. Listen again to the words that we read. At dawn, the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them to the sea. Not one of them remained. Not one. It's an uncomfortable scripture. Our rightful understanding of God as loving and just leads us, I think, to obscure these parts of the Bible. We focus on the Israelites escaping through the Red Sea and not on the Egyptian army consumed and destroyed by its waters. No one mourns the wicked. And it's not just us. In the classic film, Prince of Egypt, the Israelites walk through the sea for a solid couple minutes before an incredibly brief shot of waters washing away the soldiers that trailed them. Even in a cinematic universe, watching God indiscriminately smite a few thousand people kind of ruins the mood. Now, part of this, I think, stems from a broader discomfort with violence, specifically violence as a tactic to bring about a moral solution to a problem. Inasmuch as that's our issue, it's commendable. When possible, we should always try to pursue nonviolent solutions to problems. The brokenness of our nation is a legacy of violent tactics. Systems of death descended from chattel slavery and indigenous genocide that have changed their shapes but not their function. If we are to build something better, it will require moral imagination that dreams beyond what we have all inherited. But I think the other part of our reticence in approaching these texts is that too many of us, and I'm thinking particularly of white folks right now, want to believe that nothing is beyond redemption. We yearn to know that even determined evil can be healed and reconciled. What this text offers is a harder truth. In order for God's people to flourish, sometimes things must be destroyed. In the verses before today's reading, the text makes it clear that it was God's full intention to drown the Egyptian army in the sea. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, God says. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Woof. There are definitely vestiges here of a more polytheistic worldview common at the time. While Israelites were monotheistic in their worship of God, for centuries they still held that other gods were real, just not worthy of worship. And so certainly some of this is winning in, God, winning in battle means that our God is bigger and stronger than your God. But I think there's something else going on here too. God understands that people who enslave other groups of people don't just stop when their victims escape. They'll turn and enslave another, different, weaker group. So God decides to end this deadly circle by casting the mechanism of its enforcement, the Egyptian army, into the sea. God's message to the Egyptians is unmistakably clear. You will not enslave anyone else. God's message to us is equally clear. Sometimes we move beyond the possibility of simple reform, and evil must be shattered. 
I fear that we are walking perilously close to this line right now, if we have not already crossed over. One of the most ominous political developments in recent memory is the widespread defense and praise of Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old white supremacist who grabbed an assault rifle and drove from Illinois to Kenosha, Wisconsin to patrol the streets, where he murdered two protesters and wounded a third. Let's be clear. Kyle Rittenhouse is a domestic terrorist. Full stop. And yet, a Christian crowdsourcing site has already raised hundreds of thousands of dollars in his defense. The president liked a tweet saying, Kyle Rittenhouse is a good example of why I decided to vote for Trump. And subsequently, he parroted white supremacist talking points about Rittenhouse fearing for his life. We are no longer nibbling around the edges of fascism here. The president and his administration are making it deadly clear where they stand. It's time to register and to vote, and to get everyone you know to register and vote, because if we do not, there may not be another election in which we can vote against these politics of death. The great rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel once wrote that war is always a collective failure, even so-called just wars like the fight against the Nazis, because it reveals our inability to solve our problems through nonviolent means. If we do not stop burgeoning white supremacy and fascism at the ballot box, the only choice may be to drown its violence in the sea. And that is a road that none of us should wish to walk. But we shouldn't only vote from a place of fear, although that fear ought to be enough to make us act. But voting, like all things we do, should come from a place of love. God drowns the Egyptian army not only because God is angry that they are oppressing God's children, but because God so deeply loves the people who are being oppressed. In the words of Diedrich Bonhoeffer, we are not to simply bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. If we really love our neighbors who are suffering, it is not enough to simply staunch the bleeding. We must shatter the oppressive wheels that have trampled folks long before this president took office. Obviously, this work does not end at the ballot box. It must be part of a larger movement for revolutionary love that fundamentally reimagines our political contract, changes our understanding about what a government owes its people. However, this work does begin at the ballot box, because if we do not get there, it may require more than democratic realignment. So how do we begin? I think our scripture offers a hint. God says to Moses, raise your staff and stretch your hand out over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I can just see Moses now. Uh, excuse me, God? Come again? You want me to do what now? I mean, picture it. They're being pursued by the Egyptian army with all of their chariots and horses, and they have now reached the Red Sea, cutting off any possibility for escape. In the moment of desperation, they turn to the Lord. Surely God will send an army of the heavenly host, or will turn the Egyptians back. Instead, God says, raise your staff over the water, and I will divide the sea. But Moses trusts the Lord. And so he does as God asks, and lo and behold, God fulfills God's promise 
and delivers the Israelites to safety. Truly, it can feel as if peaceful, democratic action is simply no match for the evil that we face. But God asks us to trust her, that she will deliver us just as surely as she delivered Moses. If we are able to rally enough people together to truly make this election a referendum disavowing the bigotry and hatred of the past four years, this may still be a moment where the sea parts and something new becomes possible. And with luck and God's help, perhaps this can be a moment where it isn't just the Israelites who walk through the parted waters towards the Promised Land. May we write a new story, one in which no one must be drowned in the sea. Because here is something of which I am sure. Even though it became necessary, God wept as the Egyptians drowned, because God does not delight in any of her children's suffering. It may have become the only option, but it was never the outcome that God desired. So in this moment, God is asking us to raise our ballots, that we might create a new path through which every single one of God's children can move, towards a promised land where everyone is fed, and everyone is housed, and everyone has health care, towards a promised land where no person is shot in the back by racist police officers, where no white boy grows up with his heart so full of hatred that he feels compelled to hunt his neighbors. This is where God is leading us, but it begins with raising our hands and our ballots across the turbulent water.